I'm going to quickly grab this. Um, we started attending here just around Easter, and Jeff gave me a call and wanted to meet me, which I was very impressed with because anymore, pastors don't always call. Um, we've visited a lot of churches in the last four years since we've been married, a lot. And Jeff was the first pastor to call me. And I've been a pastor for 20, going on 25 years, really. And so I was so impressed. But we fell in love with this church because, in part, it's young. Um, and I used to be a 39-year-old pastor leading a church that was very excited about what it was doing in its mission in this town. We spent two years at the Holiday Inn where I baptized my son and, and the sons of a lot of my friends and kids there. And so I've never had a pastor that's totally ADHD. Um, I, that's really cool, Jeff. Yeah. I, what were you like in third grade? I'd like to know. Was your, is your teacher still living, or did she just like end it after you were done? And uh, who's Assemblies of God by background? Because uh, my wife Barbara grew up Anglican, but kind of in the charismatic version of the Anglican Church. Her dad's a priest, and I grew up Mennonite Brethren, which is about as boring as it comes. But um, the Holy Spirit is in all denominations, and I now work for our seminary funds and also helping to be an influence on a new generation of pastors. I think this is the most exciting time that the church has ever lived in. I'm bullish on the future of the church, on the kingdom of God, and we are, we just could not be happier than to be part of Pipeline. I, we just want to say that. We love this place. I know how hard his job is. It's not harder than any of yours. It's just weirdly hard. And I said to him when I met, if I can at some point on a Sunday, you're, you know, puking or something, you're sick, um, you know, maybe a holiday or something where you'd rather be with your family. So I didn't plan on the Warriors uh, Sunday night <laughs> or Father's Day or the U.S. Open. At least I got the U.S. Open in this afternoon. That was a pretty cool finish if some of you watched it. But I mean that with all sincerity. I'd never have to preach here again, and I'll be fine. But on the other hand, if and when Jen, uh, Jeff needs a hand, I'm glad to fill in. And I think part of why you might have asked is, um, I turned 60 this year, and in anticipation of my 60th birthday and Father's Day, um, my kids made me a gift. Now, um, I should say, I'm breaking a rule of preaching that I'm going to be kind of the hero of the story. I really hate that, but just let me do it one time because my kids aren't here. So because I have two daughters, they made this for me. It's called The 60 Things We Love About You. You only get this if you have daughters. I have a son. I'm, I think he thought of something here. Um, but I thought a lot since you've asked me to preach tonight about how you move from the delivery room where I held my first daughter, Cherie, in 1984. Um, and I welcomed life into this world, which a lot of you are doing now, which is really cool. And some of the kids out there. Again, it's just great to be part of a young church where babies are being born and there's young families. How do you go from there to here? You know, on this, on this uh, poster, you know there's not a single thing about how much money I made or what kind of car I ever drove. I've driven some cool cars, I think. They left that stuff out. What my graduate degree was in, none of that. And so I want to talk tonight about one thing, really, and that is how do we as dads kind of live into the journey? Because it is just that. It's not a microwave kind of experience. 
Um, I've made so many mistakes in my life in those 32 years of parenting and being a father. Um, I could talk about those mistakes all night, but I don't want to. I, we're in the text of Colossians, and I want to call it up for you because it's uh, <laughs> the cable guy. Uh, the text just happened to fall on Father's Day, and I want you to read it with me if it, if it can pop up. There we go. And really, this is the beginning of a long passage uh, which talks about some stuff that men are supposed to do. This is maybe one of the most masculine texts in all of the New Testament. I'll, I'll explain why in a bit. But at the beginning of this, the end of Jeff's sermon last week says, and whatever you do, and as I read this, I want you to make note of a little two-letter word that keeps popping up over and over and over again, because here we go. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Next slide. Now, there's going to be six quick commands that come as things you must do. I'm going to give away the two-letter word. Wives, submit to your husbands. I want you to know, these six commands are all actually given to men. I'm going to explain this one in a little bit. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes are on you and to win their favor, but with the sincerity of the heart and the reverence for the Lord. And I could read on. So there's six quick commands to wives, husbands, children, father, master, slaves. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Now, these six commands are interesting because they come right off the back of this text, which says, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord. Do it for the Lord as though you were working for the Lord. But they're all really focused at men. You say, well, how is it possible that wives submitting to their husbands can be about men? Well, very simply, I'm going to play, this is my only seminary game with you tonight, okay? Who cares about the Greek? But it happens to be important here. The word submit is a form of a verb. And it happens to appear in what we call the middle voice. Isn't this hilarious? Okay, it's a command that comes as a request that you can say yes or no to. Everything else in here is a straight command. Children, obey your parents is not, well, you got to think about that. That's an obey your parent. Masters, treat your slaves fairly is a command. The one exception in this whole deal is wives submit is in the middle voice, which means If the request is as fitting as it would be in the Lord, you can submit. Now, isn't this weird? Let me give you an illustration. So let's say a husband comes home today and says to his wife, Honey, you know, the Old Testament guys, they all had multiple wives. I've been thinking about it. I got a lot of needs. (laughs) And I think think a couple would, a couple, I will start with two. You would have every right as a wife as you load your Glock 9. I mean, as you... Think about what you're going to say next. To say, no, that is not something I'm going to submit to because it wouldn't be fitting in the Lord. And so even the command, wives submit to a husband, comes kind of as a caveat to men. You are supposed to make requests that are would be fitting of Jesus. And so in the middle of all this comes this great text, fathers do not embitter your children. Now children, you must understand, Stop being children at 13 in, the old, in, in old times. About the time they hit puberty, they weren't considered kids anymore. This is not a 29-year-old laying on your couch eating Doritos semi-dressed, okay? And saying, well, Dad, Mom, really, i got to do the dishes? 
I mean, that's a whole other sermon, what you do with that kid. We're not going to talk about it here tonight. When the Bible says, like in Ephesians 6, 1, I think if it pops up on the screen, it'll pop up on the screen. You know, children, obey your parents, the Lord, for this is right. That text goes on to say, and this is the, this is the command that comes with a promise, that you will live a long life and things go, will go well with you. That's a very interesting idea. That if you're a kid and you obey your parents while you're kind of of that age, there's just kind of this quid pro quo. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that is true. But tonight we're just going to talk about this one thing that God wants men to do, and it's stated in the negative, but we're going to turn it into the positive. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Embitter. It means to send two messages at the same time. Called kind of a paradox. You send them a I love you message, and you better do what I'm asking you, or my love is at risk. Understand that kind of the uniqueness of Christianity is, is we teach people two things about doing good works, even as a father. On one hand, a lot of us like a quote by a Philip Yancey who said that the grace of God means there's nothing I can do to make God love me more, and nothing I can do to make God love me less. I love that definition of grace. Our salvation is not a doer salvation. But as soon as we accept Christ and come to him, we realize God asks us to do a lot of things. And we go, oh, how do I put all that together? Well, the reality is both happen to be true. When a father sends his son or daughter mixed messages, that's different than God saying to us, I know this is complicated, but stay with me. Your salvation is entirely free. But now... I want you to do some stuff for me because I made you to do good on my behalf. Let me give you an illustration of how a father might embitter a child. This is a true story. Um, <laughs> that doesn't mean that some of my stories aren't true. Um, <laughs> embellished, possibly. And Jeff has never embellished a story that I've heard since I've come here. I want you to know. Um, but I have a good friend by the name of Dave. That's all I'm going to tell you about his name. He, he fairly well-known businessman in this town, and I was in a Bible study with Dave back in the 90s, and we were talking about how might a dad embitter his kids? How, how might he send two messages at the same time? And Dave grew up on a big west side farming family, huge farm, long ways from here. Um, that's, I don't want to go any further. You might figure out who this is. And his dad worked seven days a week. His dad uh, lived to work. Dave, in his life, decided to turn that around and work to live, and now you'll understand why. They bugged their dad every year about going to Disneyland. And dad would say, we, <laughs> Disneyland, that's, that's for sissies. You know, uh, we, don't, we work. We make money. We, we farm. That's all we do. So finally, the wife prevailed, leaned in on dad, and he said, okay, we're going to go next weekend. So they drove all the way to Anaheim, west side. Just he and his sister, family station wagon late 1960s. They drove up and there's a Matterhorn right there. He drove around it and he said, now you've seen Disneyland. Now we're going home to work. That is as true as I can tell you. That would be what it would mean to embitter your children for they might get discouraged. It's sending two messages at one time, but I care enough about you to sit with you for eight hours in the car, you know, but I don't care enough to care. One of the painful things about Father's Day, 
Great slides, by the way. And part of what I love about this church is, you know what? I, we show up on Sunday night and go, you know, something fun probably is going to happen tonight. I, I, I just really love that. And, um, but for all the good feelings, the good vibes, some of you had an awful relationship with your dad. I was a pastor 25 years. And I knew it was days like this, Father's Day and Mother's Day and Christmas, where people would often sit quietly, sometimes alone, and wander out in tears or silence because they didn't get the good vibes. Well, understand something. That might be true, but all of us have the ability to influence the next generation of Christians, be they are parent or not. We can do some things right that our parents didn't do. Question, some of you sell trees. When was the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago or today. Right? My wife and I love to wine taste. I can say that here. I see, I couldn't say that at the Mennonite church. <laughs> I couldn't tell the Glock 9 story at the Mennonite church either. That would, I would really be in trouble. My dad was non-combatant in World War II, the bravest man I ever knew. You know, went into battle without a gun. Who would have thought? But that was his version of following Jesus. So, I can tell this story here. I preached in a church uh, a couple months ago up in Lodi where I used to be a youth pastor and a guy um, who played drums in the band, we found out, owned a winery called Harney Lane Winery. And they make the best old vines in, and that's all I'm going to say about it. It might have been what Jesus made at the wedding, but I'm not going to go there. And uh, <laughs> so we went to meet him. He's this really cool guy. Played in the worship band, got to know him. And we went back yesterday, so we're not club members because this is what you do. So we, <laughs> we drove up there yesterday. And they've got this vine in their, in their winery, and it's like 100 years old. And his best old Zen vines are 100 years old. His great-grandfather planted them. When's the best time to plant an old vine Zen 100 years ago? Or today? You can always start today with whatever the last generation screwed up yesterday. You, some of you, who had a painful relationship with your mom and your dad can decide in your own life to do things different and right and better. Fathers, do not embitter your children. In fact, love your children. Let me just suggest for a second that fathers do one thing more than anything else. Any of you TED Talk fans? TED Talk? I watch a lot of TED Talk. TED Talk's kind of changed public communication. It drives me crazy because I'm a little like your pastor here. I could sit up here and talk for a while. Uh, pastors kind of like to do that. TED Talks have decided you can only make one point. So here it is tonight, and it's got to be done like in 20 minutes. So I'm going to be done in 20 minutes. One point, a father who wants to father in the grace of God and modeling the goodness of Christ in our lives gives two things to his children, boundaries and a center. Boundaries and a center. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 22, they came to him and said, Jesus, tell us about the best boundaries. We just want to know what the laws are. Is it the Ten Commandments? Is it the stuff the Pharisees made up? What do you suggest? And he said, I can make this very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, boundary, law. And the second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus nailed it. 
Life consists of a set of boundaries, fences, places you shouldn't cross over without grave consequence. But if that's all you offer to your kids, believe me, they will end up embittered. I grew up in one of those traditional Christian denominations, the Mennonite Brethren, not terribly different from everybody else, that was big on rules in the, well, I was born in 1956. I know I look so much younger than that, right? So, yeah. And it was like in the 70s when I finally heard about the grace of God. You know, and that I was saved by grace through faith, and that even the faith was not for myself. That too was a gift of God. Now, some of you come from the Reformed tradition, so you got the tulip from day one, and we'll just leave that as it is. But God said there are some boundaries, and Jesus said, and it starts with a center. It's called love. Now, did you know they've done a a study of schools, and they have discovered that if you take the fences down around a school, the children play towards the center. When you put fences up, children play towards the edges. And you think, well, that's perfect. That's what we want. We want the whole playground being used. And in many ways, the law of God is kind of like that. God says, you know, in Galatians, the whole book of Galatians, you're free. Run anywhere you want inside the fences. Have a good time. Take some risks. But Jesus said, you know, well, let me illustrate it from my life. Because in 1 Samuel 16, we read that God is famous for saying, He looks past outward appearances and sees the heart. So you can have a kid, your kid, your grandkid, who looks for a season like they're obeying all the rules and their heart might be far from God. Let me see what comes up. Can I have the Reedley thing? I had a little fun with this this week. So I grew up in the idyllic illustration of this point. Reedley number one. It's coming. Um, So, cool. 60s, Reedley was a town of 5,000. 1,000 of them were Mennonites. We kind of owned the town. But we loved the town. So my boundaries were very simple. And Kings River runs right here. Here's the Buller Farm. That's where we lived, right there, my, my dad's farm. And then up there was Reedley College. That's where the pool was. My friends and I swam. Oh, did I tell you the, Re- the Kings River? My mom said I could go up to it, but I couldn't go in it. We'll talk about breaking the boundaries pretty quickly here. And, and then my junior high was up there, and Ben's variety where we bought strawberry sodas was kind of near the middle. And I had a Grandma Buller, a Grandma Ratsliff, an Aunt Dorothy, an Aunt Louise, and an Aunt Rosella right in the middle, at the center. I was free to ride my bike anywhere in those boundaries. You know where I ended up? Grandma Buller's, Grandma Ratsliff, they made cookies. They had milk. Who needs to go play at the edges? until I was in about sixth grade. Um, can you give me the Romans text? This, was, this is a very important theological point. Romans says, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath, And where there is no law, there is no transgression. So you give your kids some boundaries. And I promise you, if life turns out the way it's supposed to, it's those boundaries that are going to convince them that they are in need of grace. This is how God set this thing up. Because they will crawl over the fences. 
It may not happen at the same age for all of them. But the law was given to protect us, to give us a sense of where we can ride our little bicycle. But Jesus said, never forget grandmas. That's where you want to end up. My church was right in the middle of this, flat in the middle of this deal. And I could ride my bike anywhere in town. In sixth grade, I decided I'd had it with the stupid rules about the Kings River, the boundaries. I knew my dad farmed somewhere outside of that, but he wouldn't tell me where. So one day I jumped in the back of his pickup when he was going to drive out to his farm to do some tractor work. I put a box over my head. And we went, it's not there. Um, next, oh, this is much clearer. So you see where Reedley College is up there. That's Manning Avenue. And I began to get concerned when we turned west on Manning Avenue. Now, this is what happens with sin and law and grace. So I'm sitting there thinking, I should knock on the back window. I really should. Just like when I break one of God's laws, I think to myself, maybe I should, you know, not do this. (laughs) But you keep driving. Right? And we went out on Manning for about 25 miles. Pre-cell phones. 1968. My mother really did believe I drowned in the Kings River every day. She worried quite a bit. We got out there. My dad gets out of his pickup. He was renting some land. And I popped the box office. He was a good Christian man. He didn't swear often. And I didn't get spanked that often. I, really, I was a pretty compliant kid. Oh, I've never seen him lose it. Now, there's no cell phones. He said, do you know what your mother's doing right now? This was his first concern, by the way. He, I believe he slept with my mom. He was very worried about going home to mom. He said, she's losing it. And so we got back in his pickup and drove back home. And there was the sheriff. My two grandmothers, I tell you, they made really good cookies. They loved me a lot. And my aunts, they thought I had drowned in the river. It was just across the cemetery from where we lived. None of these people offered me love at that moment. They offered me nothing but wrath. I couldn't find a single person to feel sorry for me. I was looking around going, where's the love? I've been pedaling my bike to these people's house now for eight years. I experienced what Paul's talking about. Just because we as parents develop a set of boundaries and a center isn't going to solve everybody's problem every time. But I'm convinced that the way you, if you don't have daughters, you get here, is that, is that simple, really. That when your kids are little, you, you develop a sense of boundaries. But never, under any circumstance, Do you pull from that set of boundaries a center that is full of the love of God and his grace? Part of why I love church is it's part of a center in my life. Barbara and I, we've driven around all kinds of churches in the last years, and we've been so frustrated. And I travel a little bit and speak for the seminary. We we just have not had a center spiritually outside of our own lives. As parents, those of you who are young parents, I just want to commend you. It's the easiest thing in the world to do is to miss church. Now the average Christian in America goes to church twice a month. um, And it's dropping. So I want to ask those of you who are 
parents tonight, and those of you who are grandparents, what can you do in your lives to foster that spiritual center? I'm going to tell you a story in a second, which I think might give you a clue. Most of us tend to err in one direction or the other. Most people who get married don't realize one of you is going to be a rule maker, one of you is going to be, oh, baby, let him, you know, he's, he's going to be okay. He's going to turn into a juvenile delinquent, but that's all right. We, we love him, right? When my kids were in high school, I got to do the alcohol check. That was my job, just being honest. My oldest daughter got in trouble in high school. She went to Redwood. She, her first day of high school, cut class, and I was sitting down at the Tazaria having coffee with my friend Randy Vote, who some of you would know. First day of school in high school, and I see her walk by with three friends at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I love being a parent. I'm pretty sure we talked about this boundary. You go to school and you stay in school. And I love her. <laughs> so I had fun that night going, hey, how was your day? Oh, great, Dad, loving high school. Yeah. We talked about that. So she was grounded most of high school. <laughs> she really was. She had our first grandchild. But when she got in with the drinking crowd, it was my job to stay up and wait for her because I was kind of a boundaries guy. <clears throat> well, on here, what she remembers is that when she was at Fresno State, I drove up and took her to Applebee's once a week because I knew she was living on top ramen. She didn't remember the alcohol check. Didn't mention it. I threatened to send her to CVC, but we won't even talk about that. <laughs> Some for general opinions. <laughs> she was Dutch. She would have fit in. So, as we go tonight, um, I want to give you a word of hope. Philippians 3 says it this way. Not that I have obtained all of these goals or have always practiced perfectly what I talk about, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. Just one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward is what ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward. As a parent, you have to take this attitude. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing on. I have, we have five kids. It means we're divorced. We have a blended family. You'll never feel worse about anything in life than going through a divorce. You'll drag it with you in a unique way. With our five children, we have to present the gospel of Christ as first a gospel which saves us from ourselves, from our own sins, our own failures, our own ability to stay you know, this side of the fence. So one thing I do, I'm going to get you to make, I just gave you one idea, boundaries and centers, and I'm going to ask you to do one thing. One thing you must do tonight, forget what is in the past. Plant your tree tonight. I was so lucky. I had a great dad. The Buller Farm, we lost when I was in seventh grade. Three years of hail and a family fight. Even Mennonites know how to fight. It's kind of passive-aggressive, but <laughs> never any threat of guns or anything, but boy, do they know how. 
Yeah, that was really sad. So what do you do when you're a farmer at 47 and you can't farm anymore? You go work for another farmer. So he became a field man. That's what you do. That's what he knew. Jeff, you said last week, I'm a pastor. That's all I know how to do. My dad was a farmer. That's all I knew how to do. But he was never very happy, again, about work. Um, It was very painful. But here's one thing he did. Simple guy, never was on any church boards. You wouldn't have asked him to speak in church or even work on a cooking team. Just a uniquely quiet person who read a lot. He did give me a love for books. He got up every day at five because that's what he always had done. And he went to the living room and he read two and a half chapters a day from the Bible because that takes you through it in one year. Did that most of his life. I don't know how many times he read the Bible. I went to get my master's degree, and he knew a lot more than I did about the Bible. You know, he's been gone 23 years. But the powerful thing was, as a simple, quiet man, he always got down on his knees. And this is the part of the prayer I remember. And dear God, please lay your hand of blessing on my son Chuck. I was really lucky. I had a great dad. And he said, and if you would, call him to serve you. Remember the wings part? Roots and wings? I really believe in that. Love the roots, but God's kingdom would never grow if nobody ever had wings. And then he'd say, and so God, he's got a lot of temptations as a teenager and you know, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I have no choice here. Dad, let it go, you know, and just keep him pure and, you know, help with his girlfriend. I'm thinking, oh, Dad, give it a rest. I'm already having trouble here. Every day. I've often wondered where my life at some dark times would have ended up if I still would have had a dad praying for me. He's been gone 23 years. I now pray with my dog, Tori, in the morning as we take a walk. But, you know, you can plant a tree, folks, and it will make a huge difference. This is a great center. And, you know, maybe you came here tonight by accident, you don't like basketball, don't like your dad, I don't know. (laughs) And you've just never met Jesus. You know, all of this can't be true if we are saved by anything other than the grace of God through faith. And so I want you to bow with me as I invite you to do that, would you? Heavenly Father, um, wow, you've been so good to us. You're better to us than we deserve. And just now, Lord, if somebody's here who just needs to say, it doesn't all make sense, but I understand. I've jumped over every fence in life. I've broken through every boundary. It never dawned on me that the blood of Jesus Christ, that cross planted in the center of the playground, is my milk and cookies, is where I ride my back back towards. That's all we're asking, Lord, is that you convince us tonight that it's always worth going back to the center. We pray that for our children and grandchildren. And because of your grace, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.